Hello there, and welcome to Zero XP. We are a podcast looking to celebrate fandom one game, or in this case, one game series at a time. I'm John, and I'm here with my co-host, who's been accused more than once of standing there like a lemon, Patrick. Hello. We look forward to you joining us on our journey ahead with our first series, Fable. Today's episode has been brought to you by Magor and Poe, but we'll get to that a little bit later. On today's episode, we'll be running down exactly what this podcast is about and what our hopes are behind it, a little bit about ourselves, we'll cover a fan poll that a lot of you reacted to, the origins of the game, and we will be covering the Tales of Albion. So in case you didn't hear the teaser episode that we put out a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to briefly run down what the podcast is going to cover uh, we're not going to go deeply into everything, at least at the beginning, but it's something that we want to touch upon as we go throughout playing the different games. We will be covering each game in the series, at least as far as the main three go, and then maybe dedicate a few episodes to some of the smaller spin-off games. But along the way, we want to cover you know, some developer information from behind the scenes, if we can get it, or input uh, from key figures behind the games. We'll be covering some of the lore. Uh, you'll find that out in this first episode. And then we're going to cover gameplay as we play them and story along with the gameplay and kind of our thoughts as we go through. And then, of course, we want your input because this is all about the fandom behind the game series. This is us celebrating a what's really a passion project for us, uh, something that we have been a part of the community for and really kind of want to get back into it because there are hopes that the franchise will continue going forward, maybe just a little bit different than we've known it. If you're giving us your time to listen, we want to give you the time to actually have some impact on the show. Something that's really important to us is getting feedback from you, not only about things that you would like to see in the show, but suggestions and content. We'll be doing that a lot through uh, fan polls. You can find us on Twitter and through our email address, which we'll cover that at the end of the show. But it would be really great to hear from you concerning the content and your thoughts on the series as well. We don't want it to just be something you listen to. We want it to be something that you take part in. Since we want this to be a conversational podcast that we're all kind of having together, even if it's a slight delay, we wanted to let you kind of have some insight to our thoughts about the series and what got us into it, what hooked us, what wowed us, you know, what made us fans. Patrick, what... How did you get into it? Because I think we came into it at different times, didn't we? Yes. Uh, I started with Fable 2, and the reason why I got into it, I actually was not familiar with the Xbox platform at all, but, you know, John was, a you know, we knew each other at the time, was a big fan of the series, and I had two coworkers at work who were also big-time Fable fans. They're telling me about the co-op, and, you know, I was like... I, Based on what they're telling me about the game, I was excited about the prospect of being able to jump into worlds and play these games with my friends outside of work. So I looked up some videos and I, I saw that the way that Peter was talking about how you could develop the world. And I Peter who, for those who don't know. Peter Molyneux. There you go. You should know who Peter Molyneux is. Well, there's going to be people that I hopefully find this that have never played the games before. But he's talking about the game, and I got really excited about how you could have a family, and I, I'd never seen sim elements into a world, you know, that was more of a action combat RPG. 
and that got me pretty excited. And even though I got into it mostly for the co-op, um, those of you that played co-op, and we'll talk about this more later, that isn't really what got me into the series. Uh, you know, right away when you jump in the world, especially for at the time, it was a very, very beautiful game. Uh, I love the color palettes. Uh, the, the soundtrack by Russell Shaw immediately gets you into the series. One of the moments that really wowed me and made me realize that this was going to be a very different game than I had played before was when I jumped into co-op with my friend uh, Ryan, and I immediately noticed that he had a world that I didn't recognize because he chose to give the warrants... Uh, I for I forget the guy's name. Arthur. Um, I don't remember. So, folks, we're not experts. We don't remember all the details, but we will get there when we cover them. So, anyways, back on topic. Uh, you know, when I jumped into his world, uh, it was a place that I didn't recognize at all. Even though it was still Bowerstone Old Town, because he gave his warrants to. We'll just call him Arfur for now. And his town had the windows blown out. I mean, there were boards on everything. Mine mostly stayed the same. It was the same one other than the snow I recognized from my childhood. And I was really intrigued to see what other regions might turn out this way and how even such a small choice would impact the game. It's funny to me that that's what you bring up because my early memories of Fable are that they start with Fable the Lost Chapters. I didn't have an Xbox at the time. I actually, a roommate of mine had one and a friend of mine that I worked with forced the game on me. And I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just that RPGs weren't really my thing. Uh, and Fable changed that for me. So all of my early memories go back early in the series. Um, so the things that really kind of got me immediately, and I mean, I, I was hooked pretty fast, was the morphing behind it. I, I loved the character's morphing. To me, it was like a little bit of Dorian Gray, where, you know, these things that are that you're doing, they're being tracked, but you can't hide that. Everybody knew, you know, that your actions caused you to be who you were. Um, the Land of Albion in general, and I think that's something that, really was a great thread through all three main games is its own character. And I know you hear that about games quite a bit, but to me, Albion really did have that. The world felt like it was just this unique place that you didn't get in other games. And part of that was the fairy tale setting. Part of it was, you know, the, you know, Dickensian kind of very British influence that you didn't see in any other games. Exactly. The humor still behind really it. don't. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, that's one thing that I, I hope if there is more to come that they don't lose. That's really important to me. And one thing that really hooked me. And if you look up any of the interviews with the creators behind the game, it's kind of what they were going for in a lot of aspects was the world felt very old. You could go somewhere in a region and you would see old ruins and things that had been torn down or statues that were already broken and there was no context for it. And I always, I just, even back then it was something that kind of grabbed my imagination because if I go, you know, to a different city, a different country, whatever, and I see a monument without any sort of real explanation or something that looks old. 
I don't know everything about it. I just know that it existed, right? And this game kind of did that. And I thought that was really neat, especially early in the game. And then I liked the moral choices. That was a big thing for me. Uh, the first time I went to Bowerstone, I accidentally, and I do mean accidentally, I, I don't know if I kicked the kid or smacked him or, or exactly how that worked, but I didn't mean to. And I was playing the game just kind of as my own intuitions were. And every time I went back to Bowerstone after that, that kid would run from me and it blew my mind because I didn't want him to be scared of me and I shouldn't feel bad. It's just a video game, but man, I did. And that was really unique at the time. Yeah. I mean, even I experienced something like that in Fable 2 where you could, in Fable 2, you could switch on and off the safety, but... Uh, you know, and I wasn't familiar with the button set. I wanted to see what things did. And I hit that button, didn't know what it did. And I ended up killing somebody. And that group of kids that saw me kill that guy were terrified of me for the rest of the game. Yeah. And, you know, with that one specifically, I mean, you and could I didn't accidentally, mean to. You, you could hit, you could hit like one of your area spells and it would knock out windows and people were just like, this guy's a jerk. Yeah, no, those those kind of elements, those are the things about the game that really drew me in and continues to want me to go back and play it. it it's weird. I mean, at this point, we're talking it's been 15 plus years, and I still regularly go back and jump in. I think Fable 3, we're at 10 years or October, yes, I think I, will be 10 years. I don't like talking about that. It has been a long time. Now that you've made me feel sufficiently old, I think that's probably enough about us. We did set out a poll uh, before we did this episode, and surprisingly, we had quite a few responses to it. We were caught off guard by that, so we want to just More thank everybody. 40. Yeah, I mean, it really, it threw us, but Patrick has the results of that. So before we get into the poll, I just want to kind of give you an idea of where we hope to go with this. Eventually, and one reason why we chose to do a survey r rather than like, a Twitter poll or a Facebook poll is for one Twitter only allows four options, but also uh, we kind of want to keep the results hidden so we can reveal them on the podcast. And also it'll allow us to combine the Facebook group and the Twitter group and combine it into one poll. That's the community play that we're going for. Again, we really I can't say it enough. We want the interaction. We want to feel like it's all one big thing because to us, the Fable community has always been one big thing. Yes. Our roots with the community go way back. Uh, John, I want to say you probably started around after Fable 1. Yes, yeah. It was the minute I finished the game, I think I went looking for more information. Uh, and I basically did the same thing with Fable 2. The difference are, you know, is I was definitely a lot more active and vocal and and this is in relation to the lionhead forums where you know john was a bit more he ghosted the forums i'd say definitely always reading not talking so much and i was a bit more vocal for sure i'm a little uh, bit more shy on the internet i think which is funny because i'm a bit more shy in person and you not as much so there is absolutely no reason we should have started this podcast no, no, this is <laughs> definitely out of my comfort zone, but that's not always a bad thing. But getting back to the point, we started with a simple poll just to not only uh, get you guys introduced into the poll, but also this is the first episode and 
I wanted to start with something simple and I plan on them getting more complex down the line where maybe you have to rank like every hero from favorite to least favorite. And that's a way that we can bring you, the community involved with our results and see how they compare overall. Our first poll was, what was the first Fable game you played? We received over 40 responses, and like we were talking about earlier, being new and experimenting, I learned during this process that it would only allow up to 40 responses, so we may have missed some of yours, and we apologize. Yep, but we honestly did not expect that many, so thanks again. I, I think we had the discussion where I was like, if we got 15, I would be extremely happy. Yep. And we definitely got more than double that. Result of the polls were Fable slash The Lost Chapters had 27 votes, Fable 2 had 3 votes, Fable 3 had 3 votes, and Fable Heroes and The Journey didn't receive any votes, which was kind of disappointing because I wanted to see if anyone started with those two series and became huge fans. But that doesn't mean they were bad or there's anything negative about it. It's just the fact nobody that we polled started there. Yes. Now let's dive into some of your comments about what made you want to give Fable a try. Longtime Fable community member Albion Knight said it was the commercial where there's a guy on a train and he changes between good and evil based on his decisions. I vaguely remember that one. Um... I think that was back when it was like there, everything had to be like a extreme commercial. Yeah. So you'd see something funny and then clip of the game, then something from the commercial, then clip from a game. It was that era. I don't know that commercial at all. Honestly, oh, yeah. It was, you know, early 2000s. You just got to think that yeah. if you were alive. Alexis Rose won the original Fable through a contest while Cheering One received a copy of Fable 3 bundled with her 360, which if I remember right, I believe they bundled those for about two years with Halo 3. Yeah, I think that that was kind of a pack-in because at the time, it was kind of widely considered those were the two big Xbox franchises. Yeah, and it maybe honestly gears. made me wonder if there was going to be a lot more people that started with Fable 3 in our poll, but obviously not. Going through, I want to say nearly half of you commented that you discovered it through a family member or friend, including Wilkin9997 and X1ManLegacy. And lastly, talented Fable fanfic writer Ben McQueenie said he loves the art and the old British humor. Uh, give his first novel, The Spirit of Things, a look. Uh, he released it recently, and that is available on Amazon.com. I bought it last week. I think I'm going to start it probably this week. Yep. Yeah. Once again, thank you for everyone who participated in the poll. Uh, We were delightfully surprised uh, how many of you got involved, and there will be more to come soon. One thing I want to do very briefly is talk about the origins of the game. We'll be talking about some of the ideas behind it and some of the developer things as we go on through the series, but just getting started, I wanted to shed a little bit of light on something that maybe a lot of people don't realize. In an article that I found on GiantBomb.com, it delves into the background about how when Lionhead started, it was really, they, they had an idea that they were going to do these satellite studios, which they would help develop and get their games out for them while not necessarily being part or owned by the company. One of those smaller developers was Big Blue Box. 
Uh, it was through the satellite program that Big Blue Box started developing a game that they referred to or were intending to call Wish World. Uh, the similarities between it and where it ended was there was some melee, some archery, magic, but it was really multiplayer-based. The idea was going to be that there were these giant landscapes, and as you went head-to-head with other you know, will users or mages, however you want to look at it, the world would change and morph and evolve based on your actions. It's If you've ever seen the Paul Bunyan cartoon where it's he's wrestling Babe the Blue Ox and he's creating canyons and different things. It in my mind that's kind of what what was going to happen. But as development went on, the game started to take shape more towards quest-based styles and things that were a little bit more akin to your traditional RPGs and it kind of I wouldn't say that that Wish World faded, but it actually evolved and that's where you started hearing the project ego name come out over time big blue box would start working so simultaneously with lionhead that they merged as a company and they were officially tied together so that many of the big blue box members took on senior positions at lionhead and through the direction given is how we eventually get to fable where it is an action rpg uh, with sim-based elements and the game that we know and love. Again, I'll touch on that a little bit more as we delve through the show, but I really kind of wanted to point a spotlight at that because without Big Blue Box, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, Patrick, how's your town-to-town Snowspire Surly Snowcone business doing? Funny you should mention that. Terrible. Seems like everywhere I travel, I'm attacked by hobs, bandits, balverines, and children. Well, I have good news for you. You should hire Magar and Poe's Mercenary Services. Do you mean Magar and Poe, who can be found at Oakvale and Twin Blades Bandit Camp? Yes. For a nominal fee, you can be escorted to your next place of business and never have to worry about Hobbs, Bandits, Balverines, or children ever again. Wow. I'll be sure to hire Magar and Poe's mercenary services for my next business, trip, or holiday adventure. Magar and Poe's mercenary services are not responsible for merchandise, money, or limbs that are lost along the way. In the event of your expiration, your corpse may be looted for financial recuperation. So next we want to get into the Tales of Albion. If you're not familiar with them, it was a set of stories that was released in between Fable the Lost Chapters and Fable 2. It kind of granted some insight into the lore that actually was fed throughout Fable and Fable the Lost Chapters. But we're going to go ahead and read through those just because I feel like it reflects heavily on that first game. And we don't want to have to backtrack and cover it as we're going into the game. We might make some mentions alluding to it. The Reign of the Court Legend has it, when the world was young, Albion was a peaceful land full of tranquility and beauty. Then three came from the void, the knight, the queen, and the jack of blades. They coveted Albion and demanded that all men bow down before them. When the people refused, 
The court burned Albion until the earth turned black and the sky was thick with smoke. Then the court demanded obedience again, only to be refused for a second time. This time, the court lifted the sea into the sky and flooded the world. A third time, the court demanded that men worship them, promising peace and an end to the misery. Those who survived still refused. So the court twisted their minds until brother slew brother, parents abandoned their children, and friend turned against friend. Finally, the people of Albion bowed to the court, and their descendants toiled to raise monuments to those who came from the void. Birth of William Black In the days when the people still suffered under a court's cruelty, a humble blacksmith and his wife had a boy. They named him William Black, and he would become the key to saving Albion. Little is known of William's youth. As a young man, he amazed others with powers of his mind by which he was able to protect his village and perform feats that dozens of other men could not equal. These acts became celebrated as the powers of will. William grew obsessed with the court, determined to find a way to overthrow it. One night, while consulting a mysterious tomb, he was suddenly transported from Albion into the void. Here he met Jack, who sat on a throne surrounded by ghastly figures. Jack tried to enslave William with the powers of an ornate sword, but William fought back and managed to steal the sword before escaping into the netherworld. Back in Albion, the sword spoke to William. It called itself the Sword of Aeons, and it promised to help him defeat the court, but only if William offered his soul in bondage. With the Sword of Aeons, William set off to find the court. The Fall of the Court William scaled the peak of Ruan, Albion's highest mountain, and challenged the court to combat. The Knight of Blades appeared first, and wielding the Sword of Aeons, Williams destroyed him completely. Next, the Jack of Blades appeared. They fiercely struck at one another until William broke Jack's body. Some say that Jack was not truly slain, and that his soul escaped into the void. The Queen of Blades was the last to face William. For weeks, their battle raged across Albion. Mountains were raised, and valleys were formed by their mighty blows. At last, William slew the Queen and freed the people from their yoke. They acclaimed William, who now took the title Archon as their king. Rise of Albion. He had vanquished the court. The Archon set his mind to unifying Albion into the great kingdom. His powers of will were so great that it seemed to help the world reshape itself in accordance with his wishes. Cities were built in a week's time, and marvelous machines were constructed that ran on will alone. Through a thousand years of peace, Albion reigned as the greatest center of commerce and philosophy the world had ever known. But without an enemy to vanquish, the Archon's children grew petty and cruel. They called themselves heroes and used the powers of will to terrorize the people. A younger Archon might have stopped them, but his battle with the Queen and his time in the Void had infected his body and mind with a wasting illness. Faced with this decay, William wrapped his body in golden mail and a royal blue cloak before vanishing. Thus began the corruption of the kingdom. Fall of the Kingdom When the Archon vanished, Albion descended into chaos. Three out of every four people were slain in the wars or died from disease and starvation. 
Meanwhile, the Archon's many descendants vied for power. These new rulers were not as kind or wise as the first. Each new Archon, fearful of a coup, brought fresh tyranny to Albion. A massive wall was constructed around the city to keep citizens in and beasts and undesirables out. The Archon's personal guard, who were encased in armor from birth, enforced their harsh decrees. No citizens were allowed out after nightfall. Every citizen must appear when an alarm bell sounded, and anyone who opposed the Archon's rule were killed along with their families. The people witnessed these cruelties from behind masks that signaled their status while concealing their fear. When the kingdom had grown to its greatest extent, the Archon demanded that an immense tower be built to focus will. Just after it was completed, the sky was filled with a sudden bright light, and all Albion shook. In the morning, the tower was gone, and the old kingdom lay in ruins. All its people were gone, except for those who lived beyond the walls. Darkest times. After the fall of the old kingdom, the few villagers that survived the destruction of the spire fell into isolation. Distance spread suspicion, which grew into bloodshed. Villagers fought for food, land, livestock, and fresh water. Soon, they were fighting over women of childbearing age. Mercenaries sold their swords to the highest bidder and fought in a series of petty squabbles. If the mercenaries didn't like the price being offered, they extracted payment by threatening the villagers. But this was not the darkest time for Albion. The Fallow Wars, an age of darkness and blood, would bring Albion to the edge of extinction. World's End Human scavengers poked through the ruins of the Old Kingdom. What they found they did not understand, and priceless artifacts were cast aside or traded as trinkets. Finally, the forest grew over ruins, and it was as if the rich heritage of Old Albion had never been. The population dwindled, and those who survived would awaken each day to a darker world. It seemed there was no safe haven. Hope faded as bandits stole and murdered with impunity. The people starving scoured the land for food and fresh water. But as the years passed, there was less of each to find. Crazed prophets preached that the end of the world was at hand. Then out of the east, hope arrived in the most unexpected form. A bandit and a mercenary by the name of Nostro came forth, pledging to bring the peace and prosperity back to Albion. So that's actually where we're going to end it this week. Feel free to look it up in greater detail on the Fable Wiki. We will be referencing what's to come, but we felt like it was better to hold those things for a later date. Before we go, we'd like to give thanks to those who helped contribute to the show. Zero XP logo was designed by Jameson Johns. Find him at behance.net forward slash Jameson Johns. Music was provided by Odd Reference. Find him at facebook.com forward slash odd.reference. Additional info provided by GiantBomb.com and the Fable Wiki. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or constructive criticisms, you can reach out to us at 0xppodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at 0xppodcast. And once more, we'd like to say a quick thanks to everyone who voted in our poll and to those who have helped us get this first episode off of the ground. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Ted. And thank you, Mike. 
As always, until next time, just stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye-bye. See you next time. Bye-bye.